Welcome to the Elmer EMC podcast. We want to support you on your journey with God. So here's this week's teaching. Well, yes, we're going to be uh, today talking about the topic of the Great Tribulation. Now, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, it really isn't a lot of fun. It's a difficult topic. It's a complex topic. And, uh, but to uh, get us into it, you know, um, I'd, I'd like to know who said this. It's going to get a lot worse before it gets worse. Now look, we're, we're used to saying it's going to get worse before it gets better. And this just takes this to a whole new um, level of descent into despair. I, I mean, really, you got to be joking. Seriously? Uh, Joker never jokes. Don't know how he got the name, but this Joker uh, never jokes. He says 2020 is bad. 2021? Question mark. 2020 was no joke. And now, as we find ourselves in the third wave of this pandemic, um, and we ourselves as a church have reopened to... uh, in-person gatherings, and uh, four separate times, including the present. We have found ourselves um, closing down to that and being strictly online. And I'm sure that for those of you that desire and and need the um, face-to-face, <laughs> even though we only have half faces with masks on, I know that some of you are just struggling with these times and feel discouraged and and upset. Even our premier, Doug Ford, the other day um, in a news conference, uh, broke down and wept um, and indeed apologized for some of uh, what he has acknowledged as uh, perhaps overreaches in terms of trying to get a handle on things. And, uh, And we can only pray that... Indeed, things may get worse, but that they will get better. That is the hope. And by the way, this joker does not have the last word. Uh, But platitudes are not going to make us feel much better, true though they may be. It's going to get harder before it gets easier, but it will get better. You just got to make it through the hard stuff first. And that may be true. It is true. And especially for a follower of Jesus, it is absolutely true. Although day-to-day, moment-by-moment, we may not be experiencing that deep in our souls and in our hearts, but it is true. But mere platitudes won't get us through, won't really even make us feel a whole lot better. But the last word does not go to platitude proponents or jokers uh, whose jokes are sick. But the last word goes to an unnamed elder who is really well connected. This unnamed elder spends his time close to the throne of Almighty God. And he says, uh, these in white robes, John, do you know who they are? Do you know where they came from? John answers, Sir, you know, you know. And he said, this unnamed elder close to the throne, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. 
These are they who have endured and emerged out of not just troubles in general, and we experience them in our lives, but from something more specific, more focused, the tribulation, the great one in the Greek word order, the great tribulation. These are they who have emerged from that. Their robes are washed clean. They've been made white in the blood of the Lamb. They have emerged, having endured this great tribulation. Have you ever heard of this great tribulation before? And uh, if you haven't, you will today. Uh, And if you have, um, perhaps you'll hear some things that um, are different from what you have understood. Maybe you will end up agreeing with me, but uh, I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to do our best to let the Scriptures speak and uh, let the evidence take us where it leads. And uh, so the question today is, what and when is the Great Tribulation? Next week it'll be, why the Great Tribulation? And do we really need to be worrying about it at all? Do we need to have it on our radar? Uh, Is it anything we are going to have to in fact, live in the midst of. And, and so, uh, that's coming down the pipe next week. But for today, I realized that this was just uh, too large a topic uh, to deal with in, in one go. And so, I've taken mercy on you and on myself and on Alex, who is recording. And uh, we're just going to take half. Now, just a word about how I normally like to approach scriptures in general. I like to take chunks of text and uh, bring the context, background, uh, and so forth to bear and then seek to apply it uh, to our contemporary situation. If I were to take one verse at a time or a little expression within a verse, we'd still be in Revelation till 2025 and maybe beyond uh, should the Lord tarry and perhaps he would take mercy on us and return in order to deliver us from this long thing. There, there was a, a Puritan pastor who spent his entire ministry in a church preaching the book of Job. Can you imagine that? Um, I, I can't. So um, we're not going to do that, but time to time, from time to time, we need to take a concept, a part of a verse, and see if we can make sense of it because it will inform uh, Uh, larger chunks of text as we go forward. So that's why I'm doing what I'm doing today. A number of uh, related scriptures. We're using uh, Revelation 7.14 as our kind of base camp. And uh, we'll be seeking to climb Mount Matthew and uh, and partway up uh, Mount Luke. We might uh, refer little by little to uh, passages in Daniel and uh, other Old Testament texts. So um, all I would say is kind of fasten your seatbelt uh, because uh, there's, there's a lot uh, to take in here. So uh, the Great Tribulation, what is it? What is it? You know, Jesus gave his apostles a heads up. As I mentioned last week, there will be flipsis. Now, I use that word because, you know, it could be translated pressure, trouble, suffering, persecution, all kinds of uh, difficult things. And so I use the one word um, which the Greek language has given to us. It's kind of a fun word to say, but not a fun thing to go through uh, as a way of tying all these things into one. 
rather than just settling on one translation proposal. So he said, you guys, uh, I want you to have peace in this world, uh, in me, not in the world, have peace in me, you will have flipsis in the world. The world is not a peaceful place, and you will uh, discover that as you serve and follow me and uh, seek to uh, bring salvation to the world. They're not going to like you, many of them, but cheer up. I have defeated, I have overcome the world. Flipsis will take many and varied forms. It will be a regular feature of your lives, generally speaking. Paul takes this up in Romans 8 and works it out in light of the greater glory. He says the sufferings we go through in the present time are not worth putting in the scale alongside the glory that is to be unveiled for us. He goes on to talk about the groanings that happen in the current uh, time in which we live. Creation is groaning, longing for God's children to be manifested in their fully redeemed humanity and glory. Um, creation groans and we groan and don't know how to pray sometimes. The Holy Spirit groans uh, right from deep within us, bringing to God the prayers that we can't even find the right words sometimes to articulate. And it's not the right words that God cares about. It's a heart that is right, although uh, indeed troubled. And God just delights to come alongside uh, by his Holy Spirit. We need to know that and, and embrace that and, uh, and yet understand that, yeah, there will be difficulties. There are. Paul encourages patience and prayer and even celebration in the present time when he says rejoice in hope, be patient in, yep, you got it, Philipsis, persevere in prayer, of course. All that is generally, generally our reality. We know that. Uh, tell us something we don't know, Brian. Well, maybe I will, or maybe this is a review for those of you who are astute in the study of um, eschatology, um, uh, biblical prophecy, and the study of things that pertain to last things and last days and such such things. Get used to that word, eschatology. Uh, it's a beautiful word. Uh, you'll impress your neighbors and friends if you say it in the right uh, context. But yet in, in, in Matthew... You know, 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21, Jesus seems to be pointing to something more specific and more troubling, merely the pressures of ordinary daily life as a follower of himself. So, so what's he talking about? He says, at that time, there will be great suffering, tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now, no and Never, never will be. Well, what's he uh, talking about? That sounds very intense. It sounds very serious. And it is. What's he talking about? And do they, his hearers, when he said this, have any idea what he's talking about? As it turns out, yes, they did. Or at very least, there was a well-developed understanding and expectation of tribulation and even great tribulation uh, in that day, uh, in the writings that preceded and coincided with Jesus' time on earth. Now, 
we know that not everyone is biblically literate or does a lot of reading in the you know, important uh, literature of the day. Um, I used to love, as a kid, Mad Magazine. Um, didn't do me a lot of good, uh, but it was fun. But in terms of reading the classics and being familiar with them, and even as a young person reading Scripture, it wasn't until I was close to 16 years old that I began to really take a serious interest in Scripture. I would come home from school, couldn't wait to get in my room on my knees and open my little black King James Version and read and read and read. I could wish that all of God's people were that um, concerned to read and, and learn and grow in the Scriptures. Uh, and, of course, in any generation, not everyone does. At very least, there would be a general understanding of this. But for those who are familiar with not only the Old Testament Scriptures, but the writings uh, that, uh, that uh, developed in the period of time between the Testaments and right up into the time of Jesus, they would have a pretty well-developed understanding of this concept of tribulation and great tribulation. In scholarly circles, uh, this, is, this is known as Second Temple Judaism. And, and the funny thing, no, it's not funny at all, uh, is that it's only been recently that serious study by New Testament scholars of these writings to, to get in touch with the very Jewish roots of the, the New Testament and the Gospels and Jesus. Uh, it was a long time coming. Uh, the day is here, and I'm so thankful for the modern scholarship that takes these writings seriously. So anyway, for uh, you theological eggheads, that's for you. And, and for the rest of us now, let's move on. So here's the thing. Here's the thing. If we are going to understand something of the magnitude and the importance of this thing that Jesus speaks of here, great tribulation, and then apply this understanding to our own experience and expectation where we live right now, we, we need to get in the mindset of the very times in which Jesus spoke these words. Now, it simply won't do to turn on our TVs or get our favorite podcast and uh, get our understanding from popular prophecy teachers who, who have manifested as far as I can determine. Uh, and we who live in glass houses should be careful about throwing rocks. But, but I, I need to say that, that sometimes it seems they show little or maybe no evidence of doing this hard work of digging into the very important roots of what they're, what they're talking about and presenting with such confidence. So uh, we're going to try to do what I've just accused them of maybe not doing as effectively. And if I'm wrong, I will apologize profusely. So anyway, fasten your seatbelts because I'm going to give you a little taste of, of what tribulation meant and the connections that it had in Second Temple Judaism, in the writings that followed the Old Testament right into the time of the New Testament. First, 
Tribulation is tied to the restoration of Israel, and specifically the end of Israel's exile. Now, uh, these, these points, there's about 14 of them, and uh, this is why it's good you have the slides. You can, if you feel like it, look back over them and think about them. But these points are a summation of a doctoral dissertation presented at Notre Dame by a scholar named Petrie. Uh, and uh, I came by, uh, by way of this because uh, Ray, uh, good old Dr. Ray, um, forwarded me a podcast by an author he introduced to you a number of weeks ago, Michael Heiser. And Heiser summarized these in a podcast entitled, Jesus, the Exile, and the Tribulation. Uh, You can listen to it on YouTube. Jesus, the Exile, and the Tribulation, Michael Heiser. So uh, these things are all there for your consideration and and uh, I'm just kind of trying to distill somewhat the, the fruit of that uh, encounter with Heiser and with Petrie. But uh, consider, you know, this, this matter of tribulation being tied to the restoration of Israel and the end of Israel's exile. Consider Jeremiah 30. Uh, now you recall perhaps, or maybe you've forgotten, uh, that during my series on, on the exile, uh, we looked at Jeremiah 29, in which... You know, after the people in exile uh, had to grapple with what had happened and to grieve it, Jeremiah says, now settle down and settle in. Become part of the community. You're going to be here for a while. Pray for the city or town that you're in, that uh, it be blessed, because if it is, you are. But understand, as you continue to pray, this exile will end. And because I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. We take that verse and apply it to our lives in a broad and general sense, and sure, perfectly uh, good and fair. But that verse had a context, and it was speaking to these exiles who must have thought, you know, we're never going to get out of here. And, and now you're telling us, settle down and settle in, yes. But when the 70 years are up, things are going to happen. So all that, then, as the backdrop, now Jeremiah 30, because Jeremiah is writing prior to the exile. And he's saying, this is going to happen. And uh, so the word came to Jeremiah, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. For the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will bring them back to the land that I gave their ancestors, and they shall take possession of it. These are the words that the Lord spoke. Uh, Thus says the Lord, we have heard a cry of panic, of terror, and of no peace. Ask now and see, can a man bear a child? I surely hope not. Why then do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor? Why has every face turned pale? Alas, that day is great, so great. There is none like it. It is a time of distress for Jacob, yet he shall be rescued from it. What is this time of distress? Sometimes translated the time of Jacob's trouble. Uh, Is it, in this context, a distant future, future even to us, 
in 2021, tribulation period. Well, that, that doesn't seem to be the context here. This is the anticipation of the horrors of the exile about to befall Judah and Jerusalem, here referred to as Jacob, but Jacob takes in more than just Judah and Israel. Jacob was the patriarch from, from whom emerged the 12 tribes of Israel. Ten of them went into exile 130-ish years, 40 years, 50 years earlier and, uh, under a different superpower. And now Nebuchadnezzar's about to unleash three waves of deportations, which included people like Daniel and his three friends. And uh, Jeremiah, Ezekiel was among the exiles and so many others. And, and indeed, they returned, 50,000 of them, back to Judah, but, but so many others were still in exile. And even the returned exiles, now in their land, were still under the boot of foreign oppression. Did they think they were out of exile? No, they didn't. No, they didn't. We're back in our land, but the exile is not over by a long shot. Now, second, a righteous remnant arises during the tribulation. Don't, 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 don't worry. I'm not going to go uh, uh, all long on each one of these points, or we will be here till 2025. A righteous remnant, a faithful remnant, emerges and arises during the tribulation. This is part of the distillation of the thinking that was being written down and the hope uh, that there was in this, these writings of Second Temple Judaism. A righteous sufferer emerges who will die. Have we heard of this anywhere before? A righteous sufferer. And, and, and generally, suffering and death happens to the faithful in connection with the tribulation under consideration here. Tribulation is tied to the coming of Messiah, referred to as Wait for it, the Son of Man. The Son of Man. When Jesus was teaching and he said, the Son of Man this and the Son of Man that, did they know what he was referring to? They knew, the ones that did know Daniel's writings, knew that this was deriving from that classic passage in Daniel 7.14 about one like the Son of Man approaching the Ancient of Days and receiving authority and a kingdom and rule. They knew that this was tied to Messiah, and tribulation is tied to the coming of Messiah, this Son of Man. Tribulation precedes the final judgment. Now there's a no-brainer, but, it, but this, is, this is part of their thinking. The eschatological climax of Israel's suffering is tied to the covenant curses of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28 and 29, to be exact, along with Leviticus 26, which, interestingly, in the Leviticus passage, ends in hope for Israel when they turn from their sin. Tribulation has two stages. Tribulation and then great tribulation. Tribulation precedes the coming of the eschatological kingdom, the, the kingdom manifested fully in its, in its ultimate eternal form. That's, that's coming. It, tribulation precedes that. An eschatological tyrant emerges during the tribulation. 
Now, a lot of people talk about the beast, the Antichrist, and we haven't even run into him yet. So, question, is this a future anti-Messiah, Antichrist here, or someone else historically associated with events that have occurred? And more on that coming. Or, or, or somehow, both. Well, we'll see. Typical, typological imagery from the Old Testament is used to depict tribulation, the tribulation. Language that suggests, and we've seen it in these recent weeks, language that suggests that the sky is falling. Uh, the literal or non-literal depicting world-shattering events in a frighteningly imaginative manner. We, we've seen that. And these people between the Testaments grappled with that and understood that so many uh, graphic descriptions in the Old Testament, um, while not necessarily to be taken in an absolute factual literal manner, nevertheless pointed to terrible and perilous times, earth-shattering events, regime changes, overthrows, and such. Tribulation is tied to the ingathering and conversion of Gentiles. Now, this is, where, this is where it gets personal to you and me, because this is us. This is us. Tribulation has an, on, an atoning and redemptive function. The Jerusalem temple is defiled and or destroyed during tribulation. More on this from Matthew 24 and Luke 21. Coming right up. Tribulation precedes resurrection of the dead and the new creation. Take Daniel 12 as the key reference for this. At that time, Michael the great prince, the protector of your people, shall arise. There shall be a time of anguish such as has never occurred since nations first came into existence. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the sky, and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever. But you, Daniel, keep the words secret and the book sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be running back and forth, and evil shall increase. Many translations have, and knowledge shall increase. I'm not sure who's right, but both are probably true anyway. I'm not going to worry about that right now. So, here we are. All this, all these 13, 14, 15 points, all of this was in the mindset of those who studied the Old Testament Scriptures, who then reflected on their current circumstances, asking what in the world is going on? What's going to happen? Do we have any hope? And, and these ones dared to hope. They dared to hope for the redemption of not only Israel, but also for the world. They dared to trust in the God of promise, the God of hope. And although many Judeans had already returned to their ancestral land, they were still, as I said, under the boot of occupying empires. The exile was not over. In fact, as I said, so many were still exiles scattered among the nations. They had never returned. So when people heard Jesus say at 
At that time, there will be great suffering, great distress, great tribulation. They had a pretty well-developed understanding of what he was talking about. And the only question would be, in his teaching, did Jesus overturn any of those expectations? Did he cross any of them out and say, no, no, uh, we'll take uh, 1, 13, 12, and 4, but the rest, uh, they're off the table? No. Generally speaking, in these matters concerning tribulation and great tribulation, generally speaking, Jesus overturned nothing of that expectation. The biggest overturn would pertain to the expectation of the resurrection of the dead. And, and we know that Jesus would rise right in the middle of redemptive history, right at its focal point, as the prototype of the resurrection of all the righteous dead at the time of his return. So what is it, this tribulation? It's a period of intense distress through which the people of God and the purposes of God emerge gloriously victorious. And so we have this scene in Revelation 7, our base camp scripture. These are the ones who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their clothes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That is why they are there in front of God's throne, serving Him day and night in His temple. There it is, and there we are in, at the end. So here's the question, um, when is it? When is it? So futurists, those who understand or read the book of Revelation and much of biblical prophecy in terms of uh, its fulfillment um, taking place in the future from us, uh, futurists see great tribulation in the future, future to us. There's a group of people called preterists. That just means pastists. Uh, there's a Latin word involved, and I can't remember all the etymology of it, but, but these are people who see great tribulation as something that already has happened. So, who's right? Who, who's right, and when is it? Or was it, as the case may be? Now, there is a pattern often seen in Scripture, and particularly with reference to things like, well, for example, salvation. Are we now saved? Or were we saved? Or will we be saved? Or all of the above, depending on what is being talked about. All of the above. We are saved. We were saved. We will be saved. We, we are accustomed to thinking of our own salvation in in terms like that, it is both past, present, and future. It's all salvation, but it's past, it's present, it's future. When you think of the kingdom of God, has it arrived or is it future? Is it now or is it not yet? And the answer is, it is now and not yet. It's both. When Paul was in house arrest in Rome and... Uh, he, he, he held court, so to speak, with any who would listen. He said, it is for the hope of Israel that I'm bound with these chains. And as people came, he would talk to them about the kingdom of God and Jesus. From the, 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 the law and the prophets, he would talk about the kingdom of God and the salvation that is in Jesus. All is one thing. You know, the kingdom is now. Jesus 
use the analogy of um, yeast working its way through the dough. A gradual progressive um, takeover, not a hostile takeover, but a very benevolent takeover. Ultimately, the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. It's like yeast working through the dough. And yet, uh, we understand that the fullness of the kingdom, the, the, that which in Romans 8 we are groaning for and hoping for, uh, it, it is not yet. There is glory uh, to be revealed that will cause the present sufferings to pale into insignificance. And I would suggest to you that when it comes to this uh, business of tribulation and great tribulation, I believe it's possible and maybe even absolutely necessary not to put all our eggs in one basket, not to say uh, it's already happened like the preterists, and we'll see what they're talking about uh, presently, nor to say with the futurists, uh, it's, it's all in the future, but to insist that it's not either or, but both hand. I mean, the typical idea that many assume to be true is that it is yet future. After Jesus airlifts his uh, church out of the world and into heaven, then tribulation and great tribulation commence, ending with the glorious appearing of Jesus and, and lots of details in between. More on that later, or actually next week, or maybe the following week at the rate I'm going. Uh, but it's too important to just blow off there's so much here that can generate the kind of abiding hope that we need to sustain us in these days. But, but for now, let's, let's go back to Matthew 24 and, and Luke 21. So when Jesus said, at that time there will be great suffering or great tribulation, to what is he referring and to when is Jesus referring all this? Well, Matthew uh, 24, um, 21 says, as Jesus came out of the temple and going away, his disciples came to point out to him just how glorious these buildings are. And, and he says, you see them? They are nice, aren't they? But I tell you, truly, not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. Okay. So when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, I had the wrong verse reference uh, from my cutting and pasting, uh, that wasn't verse 21 at all. That should have been cut out. But now verse 3, uh, when, when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us, when will this be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Now understand that his coming and end of the age may point to his actual second coming at the real absolute end of the age or there could be reference here to the end of an era, the era of the temple and all that that meant. But more on that going forward. Jesus said, beware that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name. I'm the Messiah. They'll lead many astray. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed. This must take place. But the end is not yet. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All this is but the beginning of the birth pangs. Maybe in the language we're using, tribulation, but not now great tribulation in, in the sense of all that. 
Then, then they'll hand you over to be tortured and put you to death. Who's he talking to? Future people. He's talking to them. He's talking to his disciples. And you will be hated by all nations because of me. And sadly, many will fall away. Read some of the epistles, the later epistles of Paul, the one to Timothy and, and Titus, I believe, where there is reference to those who are falling away and shipwrecking the faith. Well, that's going to happen, Jesus. They'll betray one another and hate one another. Imagine, many false prophets will arise and lead many astray, and because of the increase of lawlessness, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this good news of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the world as a testimony to all the nations, all the known world, and then the end will come. Well, the end of what? The end of the world as we know it, up in smoke, or the end of an era in which Jerusalem and its temple, um, which were the place where heaven and earth were understood to intersect, is no longer that place of intersection. Jesus said, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And not just his physical resurrected body, but of his body which comprises all of us who by faith have come to him. Um, who is the cornerstone. And we living stones form this new and improved temple in which God dwells by his spirit. The temple was already obsolete. By the time Jesus, what he was referring to, would take place. So when you see the desolating sacrilege, standing in the holy place as was spoken of by the prophet Daniel, let the reader understand. Underscore this, you who are seeing this, hearing this, reading this for the first time. Understand what I'm talking about. In fact, you know what I'm talking about. Well, this is Matthew's aside. Matthew would say to them, you know what I'm talking about. Matthew likely wrote after the destruction of Jerusalem. So, underscore this, folks. You know what I'm talking about. Then, those in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those on housetops must not go back to take what's in their house. The one in the field must not turn back to get a coat. Woe to those who are pregnant and those nursing infants in those days. Pray that your flight may not be in the winter or on a Sabbath. At least if it's not in the winter, you won't need your coat. But to what is he referring in this reference to Daniel? And to whom is he referring in verses 16 to 20? He was referring to those who uh, saw the armies beginning to surround and would ultimately lay siege to the city. Luke 21, Teacher, when will this be? And what will be the sign that this is about to take place? The throwing down of all the stones of the temple? Fast forward to Luke 21, 20. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation, its desolation has come near. Then those in Judea must flee to the mountains and, and so on. For these are days of vengeance. As a fulfillment. In italics. As a fulfillment of all. That is written. Woe to those who are. 
All the things that Matthew 21 speaks of. Because there will be great distress on the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword. Be taken away as captives among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled on by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Hmm. So when is it? When is it? In terms of Matthew 24 and Luke 21, the question must at least be in part, not when is, when is it going to be, but when was it? So that's the end of the story. The preterists, the pastists, those who take all of this prophecy and put it in the past, who basically read Revelation as, it, as if it's all ready occurred, <laughs> and, and we say end of story. I guess they were right all along. Well, not so fast. Not so fast. Because Matthew in particular goes on to describe what could certainly point to Jesus' return. Now the predators haven't answered for that too, but uh, oh well. Immediately after the suffering of those days. Or in Wright's translation, straight away. The sun will be darkened. Here's that graphic Sky is falling type language again. Moon not give its light. Stars will fall. Powers of heaven will be shaken. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Now there is an argument that is made that the language of this, these verses may continue to be referring to a coming of the Son of Man in judgment against his temple, which is now ab- obsolete, and that this gathering of his elect is graphically and imaginatively pointing to the gathering of the nations as his inheritance, as those he saves. The problem is this word immediately after the suffering. Of these days. And although these days most assuredly point to what happened in a three and a half year period between AD 66 and AD 70, it may well be that these, this, this horrible event which took place may be paradigmatic, that, that they, it foreshadows a final installment of great tribulation that precedes his glorious appearing. Both then, but also not yet. And in the meantime, the nations are being gathered as his inheritance. It's their time, as Paul says in in Romans 11. In Romans 11, he says, for the time being, a hardening in part has happened to Israel until the full number of the Gentiles are brought in, brought into salvation, brought into the family of God, the kingdom of God, And then it says, and then all Israel will be saved when the Deliverer comes from Zion. And we emerge at the end of it all with the mind-blowing image of Revelation 7. This elder closely connected to the throne saying, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And indeed, their troubles are over. The Lamb will be their shepherd. And all sorrow and tears and pain 
all that you're feeling and experiencing even now, all you are struggling with what this pandemic has brought about, those tears and all tears, the tears of Helen and uh, her family with regard to uh, her cousin, all tears, the tears that, that connect to Norma and her uh, unresolved illness right now, all tears, all tears will be wiped away. So, what is it? A period of intense distress through which the people of God and the purposes of God emerge gloriously victorious. When is it? When Jerusalem and its temple were destroyed and prior to final judgment and the coming of the fullness of the fully consummated, completed, endgame, eschatological kingdom. So what's the takeaway for us today? That's a lot of information, Brian. Thanks for overloading our brains today. You're, you're very welcome. But what's the takeaway for us? You know, so what? That a great tribulation has maybe come and gone? Temple was destroyed and all that stuff? So what? Here's what. Here's what. God's promises and His warnings are not idle talk. All the warnings and predictions and everything, if, should Israel not receive the one who um, visited them? It was Yahweh returning to Zion in the form of His Son Jesus and they missed and rejected the time of their visitation and all His warnings about not one stone upon another took place. It's not idle talk when God issues warnings, but His warnings are His invitations at the same time. And in the same way that all this happened then, there is much that awaits fulfillment. Because Jesus will return after a time of tribulation that will likely cause A.D. 70 Jerusalem to pale by comparison, terrible as it was. Uh, you know, so... So here, here's, here's, here's the thing. What's the takeaway? So, so what that a great tribulation like that has come and, come and gone? So here's what. God's promises uh, are true. God's warnings are true. And, and here's the thing. Are you prepared and preparing for what lies ahead? We're warned not to be lulled to sleep as in the days of Noah where commerce and business and life just carried on as usual until that which was warned about took place. Will Jesus find you and find me waiting and watching and growing in grace and in the knowledge of Him? Those who have this hope of His coming purify themselves, John says, just as He is pure. Now, more on this next week. But today, the last word goes to Paul, who wrote to Titus, God's saving grace, you see, appeared for all people. It teaches us that we should turn our backs on ungodliness and the passions of the world and should live sober, just, and devout lives in this present age while we wait eagerly for the blessed hope and royal appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus the King. He gave Himself 
for us so that he could ransom us from all lawless actions and purify for himself a people as his very own who would be eager for good works. Our blessed hope here is not our disappearing, but his appearing. Will you be ready on that day? May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. We invite you to follow Jesus with us and join us on mission with him. We'd love for you to connect with us through our website, worship at aemc.com, or on Facebook. Just search for Aylmer EMC.